Hey, it's Jeremy, and before we get into this episode, just want to let you know it's presented by our friends over at Pence Homes. P-E-N-T-Z Homes.com is where you can find them. Nate Pence and his team not only are huge supporters of the Minnesota soccer community, helping out teams like Minnesota Aurora, Minneapolis City, and of course being huge supporters of Minnesota United as well, they're also helping countless people in and around the Twin Cities sell their home for top dollar and get into a new home at a price that's not going to break the bank. It's hard to do in this market, but Nate and his team are doing so successfully. They have the team and the technology to help you navigate this market. Nate has been around for a long time. He knows what he's doing, and he's going to do so in a way that's going to keep you as relaxed as humanly possible during that process. Of course, me and my wife just moved out of a townhome and into a new house about a year and a half ago, and any move. Is stressful, but when you're selling and buying a house simultaneously, the stress level is is almost too much. So you want a realtor and you want a team who's there to help guide you through the process, who's there to help you take as much stress out of that process as humanly possible. That's what Nate and his team do. So if you want to get involved with somebody who lends their support to the Minnesota soccer community, but also is damn good at what they do, check out Nate, check out Pence Home. So you can check them out online, P-E-N-T-Z-Homes.com, and check out their countless number of five-star reviews. Or if I've sold you here and you want to contact Nate directly, you can shoot him an email, Nate, in ate at PenceHomes.com. Big thanks to Pence Homes for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get into it. What is up? Welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. My name is Jeremy Rushing, your host, and alongside me, as always, as my co-host, my partner in crime, fellow contributor to SodaSoccer.com, it is Mr. Dominic Jose Bazonio. Dom, how are we doing? I'm doing well. There's uh, Despite uh, very little club soccer being played uh, in recent days, it's been a, a pretty packed schedule full of, full of international games and uh, some leagues still playing. That's, that's been fun. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to talking about how all that kind of affects Minnesota United and the World Cup and all that sort of stuff. So, so had a had a good week. Yeah, you know who hasn't had a very good week? Supporters of the U.S. men's national team. Um, I got to shout out uh, the guys over at the Striker because um, I've, I've done some freelance work with them in the past. So I know Theo, the guy who runs their social media. And one of the best tweets I think I've seen in recent memory, he he created a um, a missing poster for the U.S. men's national team. And it's a, it was a picture of their match. Uh, it was in Cincinnati. I can't remember who they were playing. It was the last time they actually like performed well and won mm. uh, an international match. I think it was more over the summer. But anyways, it was a picture from that match. It said, have you seen this? It said, have you seen this team? Please, if you have, please call Greg Berhalter or something like that. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, and I feel like that's the the common feeling right now is it's not so much like this is indicative of we're not going to make it out of the group in the world cup. It's just more like what a terrible way to finish your final international window ahead of the world cup. Like you could not be limping anymore. 
towards the World Cup after a 2-0 loss to Japan in which you did not register a shot on goal. And then you would go nil-nil against the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's just, yeah. I mean, not. I don't, I'm not jumping off the deep end yet because I think the U.S.'s group is very, very winnable. We were just talking before the podcast how this group is really wide open in terms of, of any two teams that are going to make it out of there. So I still have hope for that. And I don't necessarily think 2022 should be the barometer in which we're judging the future of the U.S. men's national team. But at the same time, man, just what a terrible taste in the mouth to be heading into November now. Yeah, really, um, really about as negative as it can get. I guess the only thing that would have been worse is, is if Saudi Arabia had won that game. Um, although I don't know if it honestly would have made people feel that much worse <laughs> if, if that you know, one goal had gone in from the other team. I, I think that just in general, the window, it's a really pessimistic one. And, you know, it's worth noting, I mean, these, these are two World Cup teams. These are teams that are in the World Cup. Sometimes sometimes teams that have qualified the World Cup and the windows leading up, they will end up playing teams that haven't just out of the, the nature of what who's available. And that's not what the U.S. did. The U.S. played two, two World Cup teams that, that have their various levels. I, I think, you know, obviously most people would probably argue Japan a little higher level than, than Saudi Arabia. The expectation would be that the U.S. would be uh, better than both. Uh, and that, that obviously is not what happened on, on those individual days and yeah it's I, I i get what you're saying it's not um a week of of soccer that necessarily should make people feel like there's a like no hope of making out of the group or anything like that but it, it is a reminder especially paired with how disappointing of a, a window england had in the competitive play uh, of course as probably a lot of listeners have heard in one way or another actually getting relegated from um yeah. the uh, nation's league a uh, which they, you know, almost won the last edition of. Um, now they'll be in the B category. Uh, when when you look at what where those two teams are, the two teams that I think most people would have, you know, put money on making it out of the group, it does make you really uncertain as to what this group's going to look like because Wales and Iran are pretty solid wildcard teams. I mean, that's, you know, Iran in the last World Cup was able to trouble Portugal and Spain. They didn't end up making it out of the group, but they were able to trouble two good teams with lots of very good players. Uh, so you never know what to expect for them. Of course, Wales are, are one of those teams that have a lot of good weapons and not necessarily a, the most consistent team, but certainly have a lot of talent. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that group, perhaps more than any other, it feels so wide open. I think the only group that comes to mind that feels more open is uh, is the one that's like the Netherlands, Ecuador, Senegal, and Qatar, I think. That group, I also have no idea what's going to happen. But uh, but the U.S., yeah, it's it's a rough note to enter the World Cup on. You have to hope that uh, th- this group can be as healthy and motivated as possible going into the, the games that matter more. But uh you simply cannot be playing that level of soccer at the World Cup and expect to really go anywhere. So it's it's definitely a wake-up call for for the organization, probably for for Greg Rolhart or Berlhart, can't say his name, uh, about uh, about just what isn't going to be necessary going into this World Cup, the, the motivation, the upgrade that's going to be needed on and off the pitch, mentally, physically, to, to really compete. 
and and the other thing being, of course, that we're talking about getting out of the group, but with the U.S., particularly in the World Cup prior to the one that they'll be hosting, that we'll be hosting, uh, I think the expectation is that they'll be very competitive in this World Cup and that they'll, you know, be able to compete in the uh, the knockout stages. And based on what we're seeing, that that feels very unlikely. So, um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a rough way to to end things right before the World Cup. But that's that's one of the things that's so fun about these, even when it's friendlies, some teams played competitive games, some teams played friendlies. Even with friendly, that's what's so fun about this kind of stage right before the World Cup is you kind of get these windows into what's going on in these teams and who who to have some hope for and who not to. Um, but anyways, yeah, all that to say, a really, really rough week. And and I, I would hope for the sake of my many, many, many friends and family members that root for the U.S. men's national team, I, I would hope that it's not indicative of what they're going to look like. Uh, once they once they get to Qatar, I love the idea that like Jordan Pifak, uh, <laughs> a lock for the World Cup roster by not being called into the September camp. Uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, also, when you talk about when you talk about other teams in the group, Iran and Wales have to be like licking their chops right now. Like, holy oh, cow, yeah. we have a we have a chance. These other teams are not in good form. And plus, if you're Wales, you have damn Michael Sheen. On your on your side, giving you like the best yeah. speeches of all time. It's, just, it's not just a lot of factors working against uh, the yeah. U.S. currently. But um, anyways, that's enough. Uh, that's enough U.S. soccer talk that you probably get on every other soccer podcast that you <laughs> listen to this week. We're going to cut it short and we are going to get into some of the housekeeping items before we actually talk Minnesota soccer. Well, this is episode 110 of the podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, we are presented by SodaSoccer.com. If you haven't checked out the website, please do SOTASoccer.com. Great pieces. Uh, Carter Hoffer has been doing a great job on the St. Thomas men's soccer beat. Um, great pieces from Jacob Schneider. Uh, really good sort of, uh, it was like a notebook and uh, mailbag combo platter for Minnesota United fans. Uh, so that went out this morning as well as we're recording uh, here. So go check that out if you're a Loons fan. Um, really good stuff from our friends over at Equal Time Soccer. That's up on our website now on the Gophers and St. Thomas Women and NSIC. Just the breadth of Minnesota soccer is covered at sodasoccer.com. So make sure you're checking us out if you are interested in that. Um, also, make sure you're checking us out on Patreon too. Patreon.com slash sodasoccer. If you want to go that next step and support our work, uh, help us out. Uh, you can do so for as low as $3 a month. It's just patreon.com slash sodasoccer. And if you subscribe in our 5 or $10 tiers, you can hear this week's episode of 10K Stoppage Time, which we're going to go in-depth on Amanda Reynoso's contract extension with Minnesota United. So um, a lot of great stuff there. Make sure you're checking us out wherever you can. We're on the socials on Twitter, specifically at SodaSOC. All right, let's get into the headlines, Dom. Minnesota United coming off of international duty. Uh, four players, Michael Boxall first played as a substitute as New Zealand lost in their rematch with Australia 2-0. Um, Kervin Arriaga started for Honduras in a 3-0 loss to Argentina. Rosales came on as a sub. Great, great photo uh, from Minnesota United of Joseph Rosales and Lionel Messi saying that it's uh, Messi or uh, uh, Rosales and a fan. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was absolutely great. Great job there by the uh, Loon social media team. Um, and then both t- both players started in a 2-1 win over Guatemala. Uh, Dane St. Clair, uh, more of the same for him with the national team. He'll be on the roster. He'll be in the camp. He'll be on the bench. But he did not make any appearances in Canada's matches 
against Qatar or Uruguay, but he was again on the bench for both. Um, and as we mentioned, and we're going to talk about this more on the actual uh, 10K stoppage time over at patreon.com slash soda soccer. Amanda Reynoso signing a new three-year contract with Minnesota, which keeps him in a Lens uniform through 2025. Um, and now we get back to what matters. We get back to MLS play, two more regular season matches for the Loons to lock up playoff positioning to potentially put themselves in a position to host a playoff match. Um, the first of which you got to call it a must win um, on the road at San Jose, a place where it, you know, winning, winning a professional sports is always hard. So I'm not going to undervalue winning, especially on the road, but you are much, 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 much better than this earthquakes team. God, I love Jackson Ewell, but this earthquakes team is not great. Um, you currently hold the seventh and final playoff spot in the West, only a two point buffer. You got to go in and get three points. You haven't won in almost a month. You need to go in and get it done against San Jose straight up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's really no, no debate, no, no variation about it. It's, it's a matter of this is a game that there's no reason to not win. Uh, there, there, there's no excuse really. Um, even if there were more injury concerns than there are, I would still probably end up thinking that this is this Minnesota United roster it has the talent, has the ability, has shown both during this season, even in matches where they haven't had everybody they'd like to play to beat the San Jose team. So um, you, you have to be able to figure that one out. If you're Minnesota United, if you're Adrian Heath, if you're the players, you're trying to make sure you, you squeeze back into the, uh, well, it's still in the playoff picture, but squeeze into it. And you have to be able to win these kinds of games if you have any hope of making anything of that playoff run. Um, if, if you can't do it in, in San Jose in the season that they're having, then you, it's kind of hard to expect to be able to do it, you know, at a, at a Dallas, at a Nashville, at a LAFC. So uh, it's, a, it's a must win. And it, it's a must win. One, because, frankly, if they lose, then that Vancouver match suddenly becomes a real Jeopardy match. But, but also because, again, if you lose a game like this or even draw a game and whatever happens against Vancouver happens and then you make the playoffs, what is the momentum going to be for this team? I mean, what is the mm -hmm. energy going to be like when you're having to go play these, these top sides? Looks like on the road it, it's going to be for Minnesota United. Uh, you can't really expect them to suddenly improved dramatically so yeah it's 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 a, a must perform night for for minnesota united for a lot of reasons sort of on and off the pitch uh and one would hope that you know a game like san jose provides them a a a great platform to sort of relaunch instead of um an unexpected stumbling block and it should help that you're not just looking back. You're also looking ahead if you're Minnesota in the standings because not only are you two points off the playoff line, but you're actually only two points off of fourth right now. So there's still that home playoff spot to, to play for. And I have to imagine that that replaces some anxiety with aspiration. You know, if you're really just, let's say there were five, six points off of a home playoff line 
for example, mm-hmm. but only two points off the playoff line. That might add more anxiety as you're really just clinging to playoff life at that point. Right. However, being so close to that four spot with these two matches left, it gives you something to strive, something greater to strive for, right? Shoot for the moon, you'll find yourself amongst the stars. That's like the the so the thought is, and I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I have to imagine that still having that goal in within grasp of hosting a playoff match has to hopefully help up the game and maybe alleviate some of the tightness that Minnesota might play with uh, over or, you know, theoretically would play with if they were just hoping to hang on to a playoff spot over these last two matches. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to, I guess, probably try and and look at things as, as opportunities as much as possible. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the fact is that, at the very least, they have a better road trip to fight for, um, mm-hmm. and, and and still home a home playoff game potentially to fight for. So you, you have to use that. You have to use that to find some extra motivation to to improve on the performances that you haven't been finding in these last couple of weeks, um, and, and hopefully that proves to be more of a, a tool than a hindrance. Uh, off the heels of his contract extension, they should have a healthy and ready to go Emmanuel Reynoso. Um, he's, you know, missed a few games over the stretch due to, uh, you know, some injuries and also yellow card accumulation, uh, but he should be back and ready to go. Uh, Robin Ludd did miss the open portion of training on Wednesday. He's still dealing with a calf issue um, and we're recording on Thursday. So there's still two more, or I guess one more training session at the NSC um, happening this morning as we're recording here uh, before the team heads off to San Jose uh, on Friday. So, um, I guess I would, if you want to mark Lud as questionable, I would say that's probably a good classification uh, right now. Um, speaking of questionable, Bangi still seems questionable to return over these last two matches and potentially even for the playoffs should Minnesota United make it. So, um, you'll be a little bit shorthanded, but as we mentioned, the, the straw that stirs the drink, the most important piece you need on the field for all intents and purposes will be there on Saturday, which also should, uh, continue to give Minnesota a lift. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's unfortunate that there are so many question marks on the on the roster um, going to this last leg. Obviously, you'd like it to not be that way, but mm-hmm. uh, the team's going to have to figure out how to perform without those pieces. That that being said, hopefully, some of them are able to to return to the pitch sooner than than you know the worst sort of case uh, pitcher showed. Um, yeah, encouraging to hear there might there's progress with uh, might be progress with Robin Lud. Uh, obviously, he didn't go he didn't uh, fly out for uh, Finland in this international window, and hopefully that that break helped. Um, and and Bondi, unfortunately, yeah, it seems like he's probably not going to to play. Although the team has uh, kind of kept that an open open ended question, but um, mm-hmm. unfortunate end to a to a, a really promising year overall for him, but. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's the nature of, of the league of the game of, of the end of a season, the last stretch of a regular season. That's, you know, that's what kind of splits teams from the top and the bottom groups is, is who can make the most out of the group they have. So, uh, it's unfortunate, but, uh, but certainly the Reynoso's, uh, healthy status. And I imagine, uh, 
emotionally positive status given his contract extension. That, that's certainly a big uh, boost for the team. I'm going to play a little game with you here, Dom. So if Minnesota United doesn't host a playoff match, if they go on the road, which of these teams do you think provides the best chance to win without even looking at seating, without looking at where they are? Yeah. Austin, Dallas, Nashville, Galaxy, or Portland? Which of those five teams do you think you would most want to match up against if it's on the road for Minnesota in the playoffs? Um... Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is is that the Galaxy have been a truly inconsistent team and a truly messy team this season. They're really only sneaking into the playoffs right at the end here. And part, I mean, they've been doing it in very messy fashion, often conceding plenty of goals while they collect their points. So I do wonder if that's a place that you could potentially perform well at. Um other than them, someone that's already in that top bracket, that top chunk of the of the playoffs, I guess. Hmm. I don't really. I don't. I wouldn't want to have to travel to any of them. To be perfectly honest with you, the team that I'd be least concerned about traveling to is LAFC. Um, because, yeah, but you wouldn't play them until the second. No, round. I. I know. I know. I just mean yeah. that. Really, of those top four, the only team that that has a pretty bad record about visiting teams is, is LAFC. Um, Nashville, I guess. I, I have a, I have an answer. Yeah. I think it's Austin right now. Personally, uh, Austin is struggle busting it hard. I think they cursed themselves with that video they put out of Josh Wolf <laughs> holding the, the, the list of all the, the pundit predictions for their playoffs. Uh, because it has been, I mean, look at their last run of results here pulling it up bad podcasting bad podcasting putting <laughs> computer loading so one one draw home draw against nashville they did get a three nil win against rsl but oh. before that it was three nil loss to seattle three nil loss to nashville two nil loss to portland so i mean they they did get a win recently but only one win in their last one two three four five uh matches uh they go to vancouver on saturday and vancouver is desperately battling for a playoff spot and then they host colorado on decision day i i don't know i mean i look at these teams and i look at the form they're currently in galaxy are on the up and up portland are on the up and up um i I guess nashville might be another team that's been super inconsistent and you've already gone to nashville and won uh this season so maybe that is the, uh, you know, a confidence booster. Uh, but I'm looking at just form right now. Yeah. I don't know. Austin seems like the team that might be most vulnerable. They've, def- they've definitely been in a poor run of form. And really this last whole leg of the season, they've kind of been roller coastering up and down. Um, which part of why I, I thought uh, last episode, I think this was stoppage time, but I, I theorized that they might uh, – might stumble a bit in terms of their, their table mm-hmm. position, but um, yeah, I mean, that that's all true. It's the, the, I think the concern for me is just at this point, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how Minnesota United will perform one-on-one against all these teams just because of, of the position that they've kind of stumbled into, but, yeah. but no, I mean, I think Austin, uh, there, there's an argument there. 
Um, I don't think the Galaxy are going to end up uh, hosting a game, but I, I do think if they did, that, that would be um, a place that would feel quite quite vulnerable to go to. But uh, yeah, another argument I'm going to make for Austin is this is this would be their first MLS Cup playoff match. Mm. That's true. They don't have a lot of guys with uh, playoff experience. Minnesota United, however, has made playoffs each of the last three years. A lot of their guys are experienced in playoff atmospheres. Now, two of those three years, that was one and done situations. But still, you get a better understanding of how to handle it, how to handle the situation, how to handle the different environments. Um, so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I would I would take uh, Nashville as kind of a second option there. But looking at the teams most vulnerable right now looks like Austin which means which means of course if Minnesota doesn't make the playoffs and they would the seven spot might be most advantageous <laughs> so yeah. uh, or if, if they don't make the home playoff line I should say the seven spot would be the most advantageous uh, for that matchup all right you can call this our 10k coffee break because it's time to tell you about our friends over at Ninth Street soccer and coffee Derek and his team at Ninth Street have been so great to us. And we hope you can support them the way they've done for us over this past year. Ninth Street is part indoor soccer facility, part coffee shop. You heard me right. You can get a pickup game in and get your espresso fix all in the same place. How cool is that? I have to say, I was lucky enough to sample some of the coffee you can get at Ninth Street. My goodness, it's some great stuff. Derek is one hell of a barista. I'll just say that. Affordable weekly pickup is always available at Ninth Street. You can reserve the field for your team, party, or group outing. And they always have something cool going on at Ninth Street, including Minnesota United watch parties happening periodically for road games throughout the season. So make sure you check them out on IG and Twitter at Ninth Street MPLS. That's Ninth and Street, both spelled out. N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S on IG and Twitter. Look them up on Facebook and Google or visit their website, NinthStreetMPLS.com, just like the uh, social handles, N-I-N-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T-M-P-L-S.com to sign up for pickup, reserve field time, or just learn all about our good friends over at Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee. 801 South Ninth Street, Minneapolis, or online at NinthStreetMPLS.com. Uh, that's all Minnesota United talk. Uh, we will have post loons probably day after on Sunday, considering it's a late one on Saturday. Um, check your local listings. Check our YouTube channel for the exact uh, date and time that you can get uh, your Minnesota United post game fix. But likely we'll do that on Sunday evening um, following the game on Saturday. Moving on now, though, to college soccer. The Gophers grabbed their first big first conference win of the season. 3-0 blowout against Indiana is the Hoosiers' first loss of the season, by the way. They came in, two wins, no losses, six draws <laughs> uh, heading into this match. And uh, they hadn't given up a goal all season as well. All their six draws were nil-nil draws. Uh, so for the Gophers to get three on them, that's a, that's a big feat in and of itself, but a uh, decisive three nil win, uh, Gabby Cicerone, a header to open the scoring Izzy Brown, really nice upper 90 goal, um, top bins for her, uh, to add to her goal total on the season for the insurance. And then Krista Van Loon puts it away in the second half, uh, with just 13 minutes to go, uh, to notch the three nil win for the Gophers. But then they follow that up, losing narrowly to Northwestern, uh, two to one. Uh, the Gophers goal did come from Sadie Harper early in the second half to even the score. Uh, but, and five saves from Megan Plachko. She did everything she could do to make sure the Gophers get a result in this one, but another late winner 
conceded or another second half winner. I should say this one is more like the 75th minute. So I don't know if you want to call it late, but um, another second half concession to a ranked opponent, their second time doing that. If you recall back in the uh, non-conference, they were up one nil on TCU, who was a top 15 team at the time. They gave up two late goals uh, to come away pointless in that one. Um, this time you give up the winner late to Northwestern. So, um, but Aaron Chastain really is um, encouraged by the performances early on in this conference season. They are now one and two though in conference play. So you're a little bit behind the eight ball um, compared to the kind of goals that you had set out uh, early on in the season to kind of make the big 10 tournament be up near the top of the standings. Um, So this makes this weekend pretty big. Uh, Two more conference matches. Uh, they host Michigan today as we're recording, tonight as we're recording, Thursday night at Elizabeth Law Robbie Stadium. And then they travel to Madison to play Wisconsin on Sunday. Um, two big opportunities here. Um, the Gophers have showed that, you know, they can compete against ranked teams, but also get the job done against unranked teams as well. Um, so this is just another opportunity for them to further prove that this weekend with two uh, two big conference matches. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate to to drop the second game of the week in in sort of that that slight manner at the end or near the end, um, and you know the two losses that that they have in conference play are by a goal. Um, they've been tight losses, and, and so I suppose that's encouraging. It's obviously encouraging to see that three 0 win, uh, but it's encouraging, and I'm sure it's also frustrating at the same time because that shows the ability in the group, and you have so many yep. players that on paper are performing very well but you're just not necessarily getting the results out of it that you would want. Uh, so that's a tough position for them to be in. But, you know, like you said, uh, Coach Chastain, the whole group seem to be in, in good spirits and, and, and have plenty of momentum behind them, plenty of, uh, of, of morale and, and intent behind them. And so I, I, would, I would have, you know, faith in them to, to figure it out and keep moving forward and get some, some good results in the upcoming games. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a, a little bit of a, of a roller coaster of results, but uh, we're seeing this group continue to, at the very least, be as 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 talented as ever, uh, mm-hmm. as ambitious as ever, as competitive as ever. So, I think that's certainly a a really um, promising, a really uh, positive thing to take away from from the results, regardless of the scoreline, just across the uh, the the three uh, conference games that we have so far to work with. All right, now moving to St. Thomas, where the women start Summit League play strong with a uh, draw with UMKC, a 2-1 to win at home over Oral Roberts, and then finishing off a game that was delayed in August. They were leading UW-Green Bay 2-0 when the game had to be postponed due to weather. Well, they picked it up, and I believe the 58th minute is when they picked it back up. Mariah Wynn notches a uh, insurance goal in that time, and it's a 3-0 non-conference win. Uh, Mariah win two goals in the match technically because she scored in the uh, in the original you know the the start of the match back in August and then she gets the insurance goal here. Um, but the big standout star of the week for St. Thomas, freshman McKenna Layman, came into last week not a goal on the season, not a goal in her collegiate career, goals in back to back matches against UMKC and Oral Roberts. Um, earns her Summit League Offensive Player of the Week honors. So you go as a freshman, you know, still kind of got that that monkey on your back as far as uh, scoring a goal goes, and then you get goals in back-to-back matches, recognized as Conference Offensive Player of the Week, 
has to be really uh, encouraging for her. Um, and hopefully that builds her confidence through the rest of the campaign. Cause if they can get more, uh, they can get more players going, especially from a goal, goal scoring standpoint, if they can kind of expand that net of contributors in the attack, this is going to continue to help them, but they're already off to a great start this season. Um, have already bettered their win total from last year, four, two and three record uh, for the Tommies. So, you know, we had saw in the non-conference or in the, in the conference, uh, the preseason poll, sorry, I can think of what it's called preseason poll that the Tommies were picked to finish pretty high relative to where they were last season, but they are proving to bit, be every bit worthy of that prediction uh, so far this season. Just an excellent start to their second campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it matches up with, you know, last year when when both the St. Thomas teams were um, sort of making their debut, things were not necessarily going particularly amazing for, for either side, um, albeit the, the women's team actually did do um, a little better. But, you know, the conversation uh, for both teams was kind of about how this transition to the Summit League, the D1, was really going to be dictated by how this year's freshman class and maybe next year's freshman class um, were going to do in terms of entering play and then developing over the years. That that was going to sort of be the real key to this transition more so than the the players that kind of carried over in those debut seasons. And uh, with with players like Lehman, we're kind of seeing the the – the embodiment of that and the first steps of that are seeing freshmen step up who are actually being scouted for that D one program and showing their talent. Um, And, and so encouraging to see St. Thomas women putting the pieces together on that front, getting results from it just in their second year. Uh, And yeah, I think it's, it's sort of showing all of us, the, the data that probably was behind some of those predictions that were more favorable for St. Thomas. Um, just reminding us or showing us like th- there are these particularly young talents that, that long-term are, are probably going to be able to transform this team into a very competitive one. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, a, a great pair of results in league play and then nice to finish off that UW-Green Bay game uh, in, in positive fashion. And uh, really a, a group that, that, you know, is showing a lot of promise, which is really encouraging um, as, as St. Thomas kind of continue this difficult transition to D1. Then another big week of action for the Tommies this week, playing North Dakota State and University of North Dakota on Friday and Sunday. Um, on the men's side, the Tommies start Summit League play strong with a 2-0 win over Eastern Illinois. It was Carver Tierney and Ferris Kulich with the goals. Um, and then the Tommies came up just short of a comeback in a 3-2 non-conference loss to Gonzaga just a few days later. Carver Tierney once again getting on the board, and Ferris Kolich once again getting on the board. So you're getting consistent production from a couple of of attacking players. Um, You start off strong with that 2-0 win. Going up against a program like Gonzaga, you almost come in to get a result at home. Um, You know, John Lowry has said, you know, while the non-conference is important, Obviously, it's not nearly as important as you perform in conference play. So while their non-conference wasn't necessarily maybe up to the level that they had hoped as far as results go, they were keeping that conference uh, that conference season um, at the forefront of what they were prioritizing this year, right? And look, you're competitive in two matches. You do get a 2-0 win. Uh, so I, I think all in all, you can, you can view this as a strong start to conference play for St. Thomas. And again, in just their second year in the summer league, right? So take something yeah. to take into consideration as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you think about last year, how how long they often had to wait uh, for any wins uh, and and how hard fought those wins were to to earn through the season uh, to to start Summit League play with a win is is a great way to start. It's, It's a great way to kick off this this next year of this challenge. Obviously, there were some losses before in the non-conference run. Obviously, the Gonzaga game doesn't quite play out probably the way you'd like. But um, in terms of conference play, you start off on, the, on a good note, a clean sheet win, a couple of goals, got some guys scoring goals consistently. From a conference play perspective, I, I don't know if, that's, if there's a much better place for them to sort of be. Uh, we'll, we'll see, obviously, how the season plays out. It's very early, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, promising signs in 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 their own right for for the St. Thomas boys or men rather, um, and you know it, it's it's encouraging to see that that program is is making progress, um, you know, building off of a, a really difficult season that they had last year, and and hopefully looking to to not quite repeat that this year. Then moving down to D2, where the St. Cloud men continue their tough uh, GLIAC run. 4-0 loss to Davenport and a 2-1 loss to Purdue Northwest. It was Owen Wurzdell, uh with the only St. Cloud goal. And then on the women's side of the NSIC, Bemidji continued to drop points. They draw Wayne State um, at home. And it seems to be uh, MSU Mankato's uh, conference to, to lose at this point. There are a few teams that are up close to them in the NSIC, but with, with Bemidji sort of dropping off, um, I, I think the you know Minnesota State has really asserted itself as the odds-on favorite to win the conference. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly, I mean, obviously Mankato get, get that 1-1 draw with Bemidji uh, that sort of kept things tight. But then you see... Mm-hmm. When they're playing other teams, Bemidji occasionally are dropping points to, to other teams. When they do win, they're, they're winning relatively tight games. Mankato, most of the time so far, have been winning blowout wins, multi-goal games, um, really productive offense so far, and, and a very effective defense. Um, and it just looks like a team that that is very set to uh, to not let anybody lap them at the top of that table right now. That being said, plenty of season left. Who knows? But uh, really encouraging signs out of out of Mankato for sure. Um, people should be very excited for for what the what this year will look like for them. And uh, and for yeah for Bemidji it's it's a tough stumbling block. Um, still a lot of season left, but um, and and you know a program that that we know has the the desire and energy to to fight their way back into things. But uh, yeah, again, it's 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 becoming a slightly difficult hill for for them just given the the opportunities being dropped. Uh, and just how how strong Mankato looks. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of that plays out, but uh, very encouraging for Mankato at the moment. And the Mayak, uh, St. Olaf, St. Olaf, wow, St. Olaf and Gustavus sit on top with four and O records. Uh, St. Scholastica got it right on the first try there, Dom. Uh, get the <laughs> first one of the season, beating Augsburg. Uh, and then on the women's side, Carlton sit atop the conference uh, four and O. Augsburg currently second best. And then in the UMAC, UW Superior, um, you know, really solidified their top of the table standings with Bethany Lutheran there, Northwestern and North Central sitting close behind them. While on the women's side, it also is UW Superior sitting on top. Crown and Morris are the closest competitors. So things really competitive in both the MIAC and the UMAC. Uh, but Dom, without further ado, let's jump into top four. 
as uh, our top four news stories that really didn't make it into the regular podcast and maybe don't uh, really align with the format, but things that we still like to talk about. Um, and on mine, very much related to Minnesota soccer. I'm going to kick things off. So um, I don't know how long these have been announced or released, but I was just sort of doing some research the other day. And, uh, you know, the, the dates have been announced and solidified for the girls and boys soccer state championships this year on the high school side. Uh, the semifinals and finals will take place November 1st and 4th at U.S. Bank Stadium. And then the third place matches will be happening, I believe, November 3rd um, at West St. Paul Regional Athletic Center. So, uh, and we'll be there covering it with Soda Soccer. Um, you know, our, our team has done a great job of covering the lower league and college soccer scenes. And I think it's important to go and make sure that we're giving those, uh, those state championships, the coverage they deserve as well. So really excited about that. And it's right around the corner, Dom, just, just a month or so away. Yeah. It's funny how quick these seasons go by, but you know, the, they're, they're packed full of action and, and, uh, state tournaments for all sports, certainly soccer, always, always a really eventful, interesting, uh, landscape. So, uh, really yeah. excited to see who's trying to stands up sets themselves apart um in, in in minnesota high school soccer this year uh boys and girls of course and uh yeah i, I think it's going to be a, a really entertaining uh, uh state tournament i i've for my my new job i'm, I'm writing for a, a local paper in osseo maple grove and i've been watching some more high school soccer because of it and uh i i think that uh people underestimate the talent that some of these programs have yeah. um you know look, obviously there's there's high school soccer teams that obviously don't necessarily play the prettiest soccer that exists that's a thing but uh one those teams matter and 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 you should shouldn't ignore those teams but also there are high school soccer teams boys and girls that are actually playing really like high intellect soccer like really really um well thought out well planned well played soccer and uh obviously when you get to the section tournaments state tournaments that's where you get to see sort of the best of best the best of the best of that um and and that can be really fun so i yeah i mean i encourage people to to make sure they're checking out their uh, their local high school games and if your school makes it to makes it to section makes it to state uh you should you should keep track because a lot of these teams are actually playing very very good soccer uh, and uh, you got a lot of talent there that that very well could end up, uh, you know, making some some waves at the college level or, or higher uh, in a couple of years. So, yeah, awesome. Awesome to have that coming up. All right, Dom, uh, hit us with your first thing. I see it on the notes here, and this is hilarious. Yeah, it's a shout. It's a shout out to an unfortunate fellow, really. Uh, and I don't know his name. I don't know if that's been publicized, but there was a, a man at the uh, last night uh, as a recording. Uh, the Yankees played the Blue Jays. And Aaron Judge uh, scored or, or hit his uh, 61st home run of the season. Uh, this, this was at uh, Toronto, uh, unless I'm misremembering. And, uh, you know, big yep, achievement, big moment. And, uh, you know, big player, big name, big team, everything big about this moment. Ball's heading out, and it's it's one of those home runs where it's not quite going to get to the stands. It's just going to hit right the that little lip of the edge. Of, of the wall where where the stand where the seating starts rather and a fellow reaches out he's dotted love he's clearly been hoping for this he's been planning and misses it just by the slightest i mean there's a little distance there's a little slipping he just misses it and the cameras afterwards show this guy's face and he is devastated 
the whole section was the whole section is just up in arms like dude what are you doing <laughs> like oh man and of course you know I, I think the estimate for the worth of the ball is something like like a quarter of a million or something yeah um, I mean, and you know apparently I, I saw somewhere i think aaron judge gave the ball to um his mom after the game it's all it's all good all positive whatever but before that guy you gotta tip my hat it, it, it's a tough one that would have that would probably would have been a lifetime memory for that for that guy if he had, if he had mm-hmm. caught it so my my condolences to to um random blue jays fan number four and uh and ho- <laughs> hopefully hopefully he has a good rest of his week and he can recoup from what i imagine was a truly demoralizing loss just for context so we're talking about the new york yankees right the most storied yes. franchise in maybe american sports um they 61 regular season home runs is their franchise record mm-hmm. set by Roger Maris in 1961. So we're talking 61 okay. year. Wow. Holy 61, 61, 61. It was set in 1961. Oh, yeah. 61st home run. It was 61 years ago. I did. I just thought about that. Um, but um, so he just tied the regular season record for home runs in New York Yankees history. Um, you know, there's still a week left in the season, so I'm sure he's going to hit at least another to get right. himself to 62. The record is 73 set by Barry Bonds. Nobody has actually hit 61 in a season since Bonds did it in 2003. So that's 19 years that anybody has hit 61 home runs in a season. Um, it has to be has to be said. Just I know there's going to be some baseball fans that are going to, uh, I mean, for saying it, but for Aaron Judge to do it in what is largely considered a clean period yep. of baseball, I understand that even there more, might be some even more impressive. Around. That's even more. I mean, that's a huge, huge accomplishment. So yeah. Because you look at you look at Bonds, McGuire, and Sosa, who are a one, two, and three on that regular season list. Right. Come on. They were they were all yeah. juicing at the time. Reason. Which is which is fine. I mean, it was technically legal when each of them were doing right. it. So, right. or maybe not Bonds, but definitely McGuire and Sosa. So, you know frowned upon sure it's fine they did it but yes it does kind of add to the impressiveness i think add to the the spotlight that's shown on it that this is happening in an era where they're they're tested like crazy for steroids there's all you know hgh like like it's it's for all intents and purposes uh a a clean league especially relative to what was happening in the late 90s and early 2000s so for him to do it and for him to potentially get more i mean if he gets if he gets five more, he'll be tied for third on the single season all-time list. If he gets six more, he'll he'll take over that that spot. But I mean, with, with just one more, he'll be probably the top clean, quote unquote, clean individual um, on that single season home run list. So uh, cool for him. That's enough baseball talk. Um, <laughs> my second thing is the toffee box. The toffee box has returned. We need to come up with like a little like song for it, like ta 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 toffee toffee box or something like that. But anyways, <laughs> uh, things are looking up uh, for the Blues. Uh, they've gotten some serious time off, some much needed time off. Um, unfortunate circumstances due to the Queen's passing, of course, uh, where the Premier League was postponed for a couple weeks, and the of the international window right behind that as well. Um. And not to mention this upcoming weekend is their like, quote unquote, bye weekend. So they don't even play again until October 9th. They haven't played. They've only played one match since September 3rd. 
and that was the one nil win over West Ham on the 18th. That's the only match they've played since Labor Day. They won't play again until October 9th. So much needed rest time. I think that couldn't have come at a better time for Everton. This long layoff, this long break, and especially to get a win in there as well was huge. Right. Um, so I'm optimistic. They're a, they're a solid 13th in the table right now. If they end, I will be elated if they finish top 15. Yeah. If I will be happy if they avoid relegation. But if they get in the top 15, I'll be absolutely thrilled. <laughs> um, and they're 13th right now. Um, and they do host Man U uh, next Sunday, October 9th, which is also MLS Decision Day. So uh, it's going to be a long day for me. They play at 1, and then the Loons are uh, hosting Vancouver at 4. So going to be a long day for your boy. But I'm optimistic for the first time in, in a while about this Everton team. So there you go. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I stand by... I don't know if I said it on here or well, I don't know where I said, it, but I, I stand, I stand by, I don't think Everton are going down. I, I think that there's enough of the right pieces in that team. I think there's enough of, you know, I mean, the fan base, the, the energy of the stadium, all those sorts of things. I just think that I don't think they're going to do great or anything. Like, they'll probably finish in the bottom half and all that, but um, I don't think they're going down. So, uh, that momentum seems to be slightly swinging now in that direction for them. Um, and and uh, great to, uh, I have a lot of friends that are toffee, toffee fans. So I'm, I'm glad to see that, that you're all doing better. Um, my, <laughs> my uh, last uh, top four will be uh, a, a shout out to a formerly rumored Minnesota United um, uh, target. Uh, Mickey Romero, which you may or may not remember, we did a stoppage time thing about, uh, gosh, weeks ago now, um, uh, who, who is a Venezuelan player, plays for uh, Monagos in, in the Venezuelan league. He made his uh, senior national team debut this week in a 4-0 win against uh, United Arab Emirates. He was a substitute, and he assisted Joseph Martinez for the last goal of the game. Very nice assist. Nice. You can find on Twitter uh, here and there. Uh, and uh, his team have made the, the top four teams in the league make the, the playoff sort of thing for the title. So his team are also involved in that. They finished third. So uh, he's having a good time. Figured I'd touch, touch on, on him just because we, we talked about him back in the day a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, also I want to use this opportunity. We talked about the U S and Saudi Arabia earlier and the world cup a little earlier. I want to use this as a reminder to people. There's a lot of people, a lot of CONCACAF and UEFA folks that like to dig on Tomobol as being like an easy conference, an easy national team conference. And it couldn't be less true. And, and one of the ways that you can really see that is how the worst teams in Comabal do compared to the worst teams in those other conferences. Mm. You look at teams like Venezuela who finished bottom of, of the World Cup qualifying this, this cycle. The last four games, they beat Saudi Arabia, by the way. They beat Saudi mm. Arabia. They beat Malta who are admittedly a small European side, but they play in, I think they play in Nations League C. Uh, they're fine. They're okay. They're not great. They lose 1-0 to Iceland, close game with a penalty in the 87th minute. And then they beat the UAE 4-0. They destroy that team. 
compare that to how the Faroe Islands are doing. Compare that to how Guatemala are doing. <laughs> compare that to how Nicaragua are doing. Compare yeah. that to how San Marino, who haven't won a game in like five years, are doing. And these are teams that the bid teams have to play. Yep. England, like a couple of years ago, was in a group with San Marino. They're playing twice. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want people to understand that Comable might be a smaller conference. And I think that's one of the reasons that people think it's a weaker conference. But every team in Comable is good compared to every other conference. Like, that, if, if Venezuela or Bolivia or Paraguay were in any other continent, they would make the World Cup regularly. The only reason we don't is because Argentina and Brazil and Uruguay and Colombia are all there. That's the problem. So I, I just want I want to make sure people put a little more respect. Get those big teams there. out of there. Get those big I mean, teams out of there. They're the problem. They're the issue. I want I want people to put a little more respect on Como Ball because I you know all, all these people that talk about like Argentina and Brazil have easy qualifying windows. Are you kidding me? They have easy qualifying windows. They have to play all those teams twice, whereas some of these teams in Europe have to play like Slovenia and mm-hmm. and and Malta and uh, uh, Gibraltar to make the World Cup. <laughs> that is bullshit. <laughs> that is bullshit. That's not. That is not. That is ridiculous. And the teams that you have to play to make the hex in in Concacaf. Are you kidding me? No, that's not even comparable. That's not even comparable. So I just want to remind people. I want to remind people to put a little more respect on Colombo's name. That's my third top four point. Put a little more respect on Colombo's name. Those teams are good. I think Brazil and Argentina, by the way, should be favorites on everybody's predictions for this World Cup. And, uh, yeah, I just want to remind people that just because we're the smallest conference doesn't mean that somehow we're easier. We're packed with some of the best teams. and Even our worst teams are better than your worst teams. So that that's the end we, of it. We we officially set in stone, write it in pen. We stand combable on the ten thousand pitches podcast. We are a combable standing podcast. Absolutely. Our worst teams are better than your worst teams. It's true. Print the shirts. Print the shirts. I, I kinda want to. I kinda want to. That would be that would be great. All right. That'll do it for this week's edition of Ten Thousand Pitches. Thank you guys so much. If you want more content, head over to patreon.com slash soda soccer right now, where you will hear Dominic Jose Bazonio and myself kind of breaking down all the details, the ins and outs, what it means after Emmanuel Reynoso signs a new three-year contract with Minnesota. United. That's over right now on our Patreon, patreon.com slash soda soccer. So if you're not already subscribed and you want that content, go ahead and do that and check it out. Uh, Post Loons coming your way probably Sunday night after the Minnesota United San Jose match on Saturday. And of course, another episode of 10,000 pitches in your feed next Friday. Till then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your week. We'll talk soon. Bye.